0: I'm going to tell you, so you, if you have your bulletin with you, you've got a handout in there, right? And, of course, the Lord does this, and maybe it was subliminal, but really it's totally unplanned on my part. You see the title and the theme that we're going to be looking at in our message today. So uh, it has to do with light, right? And that was really the whole theme of today's program. So here's what I'm going to ask you to do. In fact, we've been doing this probably for 40-some times this year, but we're going to do a little different Today, if you would join me in your Bible, Matthew chapter four, Matthew chapter four, and I want to invite you to uh, to go there. And in a moment, we will hit this text and a few others. And most all of our scripture passages are very front loaded in our message today. And then um, we'll go from there. All right, Matthew chapter four. And this is not part of our Matthew series. This just happens to be something that we'll look at in a moment. Uh, here's what I want you to do. All right, ready? Everybody, kind of get engaged this way. If if we were to sit down and I were to ask you, think of three or four or five things that you. Or America associates with Christmas. So as soon as I say that, let your mind start going. I mean, act like it's one of those games where you have to start naming. And how many you can name within 30 seconds? Things that Americans associate with Christmas. So your mind's off and running. You've got three. Oh, there's another one. There's a fifth one. Now you're starting to struggle. How many of you got three or four already? Think, think, think. You got three or four already. All right. So probably on your list are things like trees, trees, Maybe you thought of Santa Claus already, probably have. Maybe you've thought of Christmas carols. Maybe you think of gift-giving, presents, what we call them. And, of course, you have your Christmas lights. And so I was thinking about that. And it is not by an accident. Now, here's the thing. Here's the thought here. We definitely secularize and materialize. Most all of those things, and, and I have read in the past, so long ago I forget what I read, and I've heard different things, so I'm not going to touch the tree, the whole Christmas tree thing. Here's what I do know. The Christmas message points toward a tree. We know that. It points toward a tree, not a Christmas tree, but another tree that is going to be used as a cross. Carols are obvious. The Bible, I mean, that is so fitting that carols be associated with Christmas because the angels sang on the night of the very first Christmas, Glory to God in the highest on earth, peace, goodwill toward men. There was Christmas carols, so it makes sense we have Christmas songs, right? There's Obviously, it makes sense for us to give gifts because God gave such a great gift to mankind. We want to give gifts to each other, and I want to give this to you out of love because God has loved me. Now, we may not take that step, but we really should. But today, I want to focus on Christmas lights. We put them on the tree. We put them on the house. I think I'm the only one on my street that has actually put lights on the house all of you have lights on your Christmas tree we put candles in the window each of us a while ago had a candle that we held during the program that's intentional so whether we mean it or not that is a great association with Christmas the Word of God the Bible connects Christmas with lights and so if you would join me this morning I want us to share to look into three thoughts if you would let's kind of get a good perspective Next week we will have no doubt, and I don't know what it will be yet, but we will have a fuller idea of Christmas. It'll be an official Christmas message today. We're splitting our time with the program. I do want to give us three thoughts today. Would you join me in looking at this? Number one, you got your hand out if you're keeping notes. Christmas, I'm taking right out of the title of your message at the top of the page. Christmas, the whole perspective of the Bible is that the Christmas story and all of, all of Christ in it is the dawn of a new day. I want you to think that. This is going to be the theme running throughout. So I have lights here. You have lights at home. We need light. Light does a lot of things. Light, we could say, exposes things. Light reveals things. That has a little friendlier connotation. Here's again the harder con- connotation. Light exposes or light reveals that whatever it is was there but the light reveals what we weren't seeing until the light was on and we can even use another word that gets across a great idea light illuminates light illuminates all right what is christmas christmas the idea in the new testament is it's and really it goes to the old testament it was this dawn of a new day The Bible repeatedly, if you knew how many texts I deleted for time's sake, the Bible repeatedly associates Christ. So here's the thought. Jesus, the Christ, the Son of God, we're going to see a different word for him in the book of John chapter 1 in a few moments, but he's associated with light, and so his coming to the earth is associated with light. Repeatedly, this runs through the Word of God. So I had to delete a lot of texts. It's a lot in the Old Testament, in the Psalms, the Prophets, the New Testament as well. Look at Matthew chapter 4. We looked at this several months ago, but I wants to return there. Uh, this is actually a carryover and a pulling in, as Matthew writes, 2,000 years ago. He's referring to what was written 700 years before him. So here's the scene. Go with me to verse 12. Hopefully you have your Bible. The verses will be on the screen, though. Matthew chapter 4, look at verse 12. This is after Christ's baptism by John. The Baptist, this is after Christ's 40 days of being in the wilderness without eating, so he's fasting 40 days, 40 nights, and then he's tempted three times by Satan and resists that and gets the victory. Now what? It is time for him to start his ministry. Notice what the Bible says. This is not an accident. This was predicted 700-plus years before, verse 12. So Matthew writes, now when he heard. So baptism, temptation's over, start of the ministry. Now, when he heard that John had been arrested, this is his cousin, he hears that John had been arrested, he withdrew into Galilee. Look this way just for a moment. I don't have a map, but I'm just going to use my arms. So we have Judea. This is, this is in southern Israel. This is where Christ was baptized and tempted, so he's in Judea. And then we have Samaria, and then up north of that we have Galilee. The text says when, he, when Jesus heard John had been arrested, he withdrew into Galilee, so he goes north. Well, that's just heading back home because Christ was raised for the first 30 years of his life, in essence, in Nazareth, which was also in Galilee. So he's going back home, but verse 13 says, And leaving Nazareth, he went, if I could add this phrase, further north. So he goes on above. Yes, he's in Galilee in Nazareth, but keeps on going. Leaving Nazareth, he went and lived in Capernaum by the sea. So he's going to live not out on a plateau, but exactly on the top of the Sea of Galilee up north. In the territory of Zebulun and Naphtali. And you say, I've never heard those words in my life. What's Zebulun and Naphtali? These are two of the tribes of Israel. So some 1,500 years before this, the nation of Israel comes out of Egypt. They come into the promised land that God delivered to them, and they divide the land up among the 12 tribes, and now we're focusing on Zebulun and Naphtali. And if you read the Old Testament, they're not big players. They're just not that important in the whole scheme of things, apparently, until verse 14. Why does Christ go there? So why is that going to be the hub of his ministry? So that what was spoken by the prophet Isaiah might be fulfilled. Christ is doing this to fulfill Isaiah's prophecy. What had Isaiah prophesied? Right out of verse chapter 9. Look at verse 15. Here's Matthew writing about this prophecy. Here's the prophecy. The land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali. The way of the sea. Beyond the Jordan. Galilee of the Gentiles. Here's the prediction. The people dwelling in darkness has nothing to do with our son s-u-n they're dwelling in spiritual darkness but the text predicts and now here we're seeing the fulfillment of it in matthew 4 the people dwelling in darkness have seen a great light and for those dwelling in the region and shadow of death these are people who just their whole life is in the region and the shadow of death like many other places all around the world On them, the text says, on them a light has dawned. And you're going to see that theme over and over. Here's the idea. Where there is much Christ, there is much light. Where there's little Christ, there's little light. If a place of business has many Christians there and Christ is there, central in that place of business, or in a home, or in a country, then that home or business or country has great spiritual light. That just goes, much Christ, much light. Little Christ, little light. Jeff, why do we make such a big deal about missions in the month of December? Catch what I'm about to say. Because there are huge sections of the globe, somehow, some way, that have 2,000 years later yet to receive the great light of Christ. And so we need to get people there. Please understand what I'm about to say. Literally, there are places that if a Christian, you or I, with a Bible in hand, God's Holy Spirit, not talking about someone who knows a little about Christianity, I mean a true Christian that has, that if they're in Christ and Christ is in them, the Holy Spirit is in them, if they were to get off of a boat or off of a burrow, or off of a bicycle, or literally walk into this region, there are still places on the planet, they would be the first such ray of light ever to hit that area or that people group. You're like, this is 2019. They we've made our way around the globe. Coca-Cola, everybody knows about Coca-Cola all the way around the gr- globe. Somehow they know about sugar water, but they've yet, there's still pockets who have yet to hear about Jesus, the light. One Christian All this darkness, and one thing about light, it is very attracting. I've noticed this this morning. I've noticed it all week. It can be 6.30 in the morning, but if I flip on the the Christmas tree lights, my eye is immediately drawn to those. You have total darkness put on one light. You're going to notice the one light. This was a land of darkness. And of all the places in the world where Christ would fulfill his ministry for three years, it's not down south in Jerusalem. It's up north in this forgotten land. You say, Jeff, what was the result of that? I'll tell you the result. Here's what we're going to find. When we get to heaven, more of that time, more people of Galilee will be in heaven than there are going to be people from Judea and Jerusalem from that time. You say, why is that? Because Christ chose to do his ministry in Galilee and they were born again. Flip over, if you would, Matthew. Go to Luke chapter 1. And you'll see this, um, again, many of these such texts in the Old Testament don't have time to hit them all, and I'm going to force myself to keep moving and not get bogged down. So the Bible repeatedly associates Christ and is coming with light, this idea of light, a new day, a new dawn has come upon the world. Luke chapter 1, if you would look at verse, in a moment I'm going to jump in verse 76, but here's the scene, right? So there's this is a man named Zacharias, I won't give the whole story, um, but he and his wife Elizabeth, she, they're older, she's barren, they've never had kids, he's a priest, he gets chosen, it's his group of priests, time to serve in the temple, and so they're up and they cast lots, and the lot comes down for, down for Zacharias to go in and do the altar of incense, and I'm assuming the table of showbread, inside the holy place. Not the holy of holies, but inside the holy place in the temple. He goes in, and while he's there, the angel Gabriel tells him, you're going to have a son. He asks this question. He has some doubt. How's this going to happen? I'm old. My wife's old, and she's barren. How do you know this is going to happen? And the angel's like, well, since you doubt it, I'll tell you how this is going to happen. You have no trouble talking, do you? Oh, I'll talk fine. Yeah, well, guess what? You're not going to talk until the child is born. Now, when the child is born, you're going to name him John. And so it goes through the whole text all before this. And then eventually the child is born. And, and Zacharias gets his voice back. He says, yes, his name is going to be John. And then he starts prophesying. I'm not going to start in verse 67. Skip ahead to what Zacharias, filled with the Spirit, has to say about his son named John, who we know is going to be John the baptist notice what he prophesies over his son i'm jumping in the middle of all what he says look at verse 76 and you child john you will be called the prophet of the most high for you the lord showed him this you will go before the lord to prepare his ways To give knowledge, this will be your job, to give knowledge of salvation to his people. Son, you're not going to save people. You're going to go before the Lord, and you're going to draw people's attention to him, and you're going to give knowledge of salvation to his people in the forgiveness of their sins. So before this, he's talking about how great it's going to be as Israel gets their redeemer and their deliverer in a physical, earthly sense, but now he's jumping to the spiritual. Look at verse 77 again. You'll go before to give knowledge of salvation to his people in the forgiveness of their sins. How is that going to happen? Because of the tender mercy of our God. Watch this phrase. Here we go. Whereby, under inspiration of the Holy Spirit, Zacharias says, whereby the sunrise shall visit us. And really the idea of the text here, the sunrise has visited us. It's just not fully known yet. Christ is three months in Mary's womb as Elizabeth, six months ahead of her, is already delivering her son John, the forerunner. How is this happening? Verse 78, because of the tender mercy of our God whereby the sunrise shall visit us from on high. Why is he doing this? To give light to those who sit in darkness and in the shadow of death. Literally, we don't even know we're sitting in darkness because we don't know what light is. All we've known is darkness. But this is, Sunrise, as it's likened here in Scripture, is occurring to give light to those who sit in darkness and in the shadow of death. Why do we need this light? To guide our feet into the way of peace. There is a way of peace. We're not going to find it unless it is lit and lighted. And the person who is the way of peace must provide the light for us to see. Flip the page. Chapter 2. Look at Luke chapter 2. We'll see another one very quickly. Look at verse 25. Here's the scene. Jesus is 40 days old. They're going to the temple, Joseph and Mary, they're gonna take him as the law in the book of Exodus commands if you're firstborn the firstborn son a male when that male is born then you as a Jew as an Israelite you're to go to the temple and you're to make an offering of dedication to commit your child in other words you may not literally give your child to the Lord to stay and become a priest but because they're the firstborn male from the womb then you give an offering and usually it would be a lamb but because Mary and Joseph are poor we're going to see that they're going to give hurdle doves or pigeons and so that scene is happening here they go it's 40 days they're going by the book he was circumcised the eighth day and here they're doing all the jewish things and now it's time to dedicate jesus 40 days later at the temple look at verse 25 you're going to read about eight things about this man in verse 25 and 26 notice the eight things there was a man in jerusalem whose name was simeon and this man was righteous So he's righteous and devout. Two separate thoughts. He's a righteous man. He's a devout man. Notice, here's another piece of information. Waiting. So he lives in Jerusalem. He's a man. His his name is Simeon. He's righteous, devout, waiting for the consolation, the comfort of Israel. And very rare thing, and the Holy Spirit was upon him. A very unique man. The Holy Spirit was upon him. One more piece of information. And it had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not see death before he had seen the Lord's Christ. Jews are looking for the Christ, the anointed one, the Messiah. This man has uniquely been told he's old. Maybe the idea should have already died. I don't know what's keeping that guy around here. And the Lord's already told him because he has the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit literally communicated to him, you will not die until you see the Christ. And so verse 27, he came in the Spirit into the temple. And when the parents brought in the child Jesus to do for him according to the custom of the law. We don't know how this happened. Here's just the bare bones. He took him up in his arms and blessed God and said. Now, it doesn't say he's a priest. Maybe he's a priest. And when I read this, I'll, I try to picture these things. I don't know if he got by them. I don't know if he sees them coming. I don't know if he's sitting on some steps. I don't know if he's standing over in the corner, has no idea. All he knows, I will not die until I see the Christ. Somewhere, somehow, the Holy Spirit clues him, this is it. And so there's this couple. In my mind, I'm on my, again, I'm, not, I'm adding to the text. This is not in the text. It's almost as though, hey, hey, excuse, excuse me. Yes, yes, sir. What, do, what, do you, what have you got there? Oh, this, this is our son. Yeah. Where are you going? We're going to dedicate him. He's 40 days old today. You, you wouldn't let an old man hold him, would you? What do you think? Uh, well, sure. That, that's no problem. And then this man, in my mind, I'm picture. Do y'all know who this is? Yeah, that's our son. No, 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 no. Do you know who this is? And then it hits them because they know. We know who. He, do you know who he is? Oh, I know who he is. How do you know? Don't you worry about look at verse 28 again. He took him up in his arms and he blessed God and said, Notice the text. Lord, now you are letting your servant depart in peace according to your word, for my eyes have seen your salvation. He knows he's going to see the Christ. He literally equates the Christ with salvation. The Christ is salvation, verse 31, that you have prepared in the presence of all peoples. Here's the thought, verse 32. A light for revelation to the Gentiles. That's Jeff Bartlett. And a light for glory to your people, Israel. <laughs> that's what this is. Did you? This is the light all through the scripture. When he comes, it'll be light. It's going to be unique. You've never seen light like this. And then John. Would you flip over to John chapter 1? I know we went through this last year. I'll not go through it in the the depth we did there. While we're going to John 1, John, of all the writers, maybe Isaiah and some of the Old Testament writers would be there with him, But John seems to uniquely and particularly often speak of God and of Jesus Christ as light. Often it's John. He really loves this idea of Jesus, the Christ, the Son of God as light. Literally seven times you're going to see this word light. You're going to see the word darkness a couple of times. You're going to see these ideas of seeing and behold. Things that are associated with being able to see with light. So... I'm not going to let myself get bogged down here. I'm supposed to go through these texts quickly. This, this is like the deep end of Scripture, and we're not going to dive in too deep. This is, honestly, God, I don't talk this way every time I read this. I struggle with its complexity, but then each line is like, it's kind of simple, but it's hard. It can't be simple and hard. It it is, look at verse 1. Here's how John words it. After Matthew, Mark, and Luke have written what they've written, John, year, decades later, the Lord has him write this perspective. In the beginning. Guys, this is like Genesis 1 in the beginning. This is before anything was made. You say, well, let's talk about that. Look what the Bible says. I'm going to keep going. Here we go. In the beginning was the Word. Can't go into that why that word is used, but. This person is called the Word, and the Word was with God. You'll recall we've said this before. The word with means face-to-face. So here it is. Watch this. There's the Word, and there's God, and the Word is with, face-to-face, with God. That tells me this is not a force, this is not a thing, this is a person the Word is with a personality, and then there's God. You say, God, yeah, God the Father, God, Yahweh. There's God, but first the text says there's the Word, and they're face-to-face, there's with, so there's this distinction. This one, the same. There's this distinction because there's the Word and there's the Father, but the text keeps going. And the Word was God. Wait a minute, I thought there was God, and I thought there was the Word, and they're with, face-to-face. Right. There's God, and there's the Word, and the Word is God. He, the Word, was in the beginning with God. So in eternity past, who's there? And we know the Holy Spirit's there as well. But this text says, he was in the beginning with God. All things, now he's progressing in his story... All things were made through him. We know that God made all things, but the text is very clear. God made all things through the word, God the word. Specifically, he made all things. All things were made through him. And to be clear, without him was not anything made that was made. So that means he could not have been made, and then he makes everything. No, anything that was made, he made it. Without him was not anything made that was made. Verse 4, here comes our words. In him, this word, was life. So, the life, he has a monopoly on life. There's no life, there's God, his life, and the word's life. In him was life, and the wording here is really hard for me, but then it's simple. In him's life, and the life was the light of men. The life in him was the light. The light, life, his life, is light. His life is light. I'm paraphrasing. The light, John's advancing the story, the light shines in the darkness, this world, spiritual darkness, this light shines in darkness and the darkness has not overcome it. And now he brings in John. There was a man sent from God whose name was John. It's John the Baptist. This is not the author John, who's one of the 12 apostles. This is that John talking about John the Baptist. So God sends John. Why? He came as a witness, to bear witness about the light that all might believe through him, just like his father predicted. He, John, was not that light, but came To bear witness about the light. Guys, it's not even as important as John being a witness. It's John's witness. I know I'm splitting hairs. Hang with me. It's not about John being a witness. It's John's witness. It's what he's saying. Verse 9. The true light, which gives light to everyone, was coming into the world. He was in the world. So he's coming into the world now. He's in the world and the world was made through him. Hey, he's in the world he made. Yet the world did not know him. They just don't know him. Their maker is right there with them, but they don't know him. He came to his own, meaning his own domain, and his own people. Literally, he came as a Jewish man, and his own people, the Jews, did not receive him. But not everybody rejected, because the text says, But to all who did receive him who believed what does receiving mean who believed in his name he gave the right to become not the power and ability he gave the right the authority the privilege to become children of God well I thought this was the son of God yes but the people who receive and believe on his name they get to become children of God by right how does this happen these people it is likened to birth who are born so they're like not born and then born not of blood i've got abraham's blood oh yeah well i can be more specific i have judah's blood oh yeah well i have levi's blood well i've got david's blood wonderful i've got aaron's blood the text is like it doesn't matter who were born this spiritual birth not of blood doesn't matter who i i got mixed blood i'm an american you gotta get out of here with that you're not going to heaven with that nor the will of the flesh. I want to be saved. Not how it happens. Nor the will of man. I want you to be saved. I really do. I want everybody here this morning to be saved. I wish I could save you. But of God. I can't make that. You can't just decide. You were not born with it. You have to be born into it. Verse 14. Uh, here we come. And the word became flesh. The word became didn't stop being the word just the word became flesh and dwelt among us john is now writing the, the writer author john is now writing he's saying the word became flesh he was dwelt among us we have seen his glory, so we've seen this light. We've seen his glory. Glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. People have wondered, what, is this, what part is John talking about? Maybe, apparently, he's talking about where he, him and Peter and James were on the Mount of Transfiguration, and they saw this Word made flesh called Jesus the Christ. They saw him transformed into his glorified state. He says, we've seen his glory. Glory is of the only son from the Father. We can become adopted children of God. He's the one and only son full of grace and truth. Now John the disciple brings John the Baptist back into the story. Watch. John bore witness about him and cried out. John the Baptist says this. This was he of whom I said, he who comes after me. Talking about time. John comes on the scene first. This word made flesh is going to come after, him, after me. He says, ranks before me, so he's above me. Why? Because he was before me. Jeff, what? Uh, okay. watch. John's on the scene in time first, saying the one that's coming after him ranks above him because the one coming after him lived long before him. Lived long before him. John, the writer, gets back three more verses. Here we go. For from his, this word made flesh, his fullness, we have all received grace upon grace. And I could say, and more grace, and more grace. Every good thing you have in your life comes from this word made flesh. For, and here's this idea. For the law, our Old Testament, was given through Moses. Grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. No one has ever seen God. That's kind of its own thought. No one has ever seen God, the writer writes, 2,000 years ago. The only God who is at the Father's side, no one's ever seen God, but the only God who's, in another, the King James says, in the Father's bosom, I mean, talking about how close are they? Yeah, they're one, and yet they're distinct. You say, that makes no sense. I know that. We can't understand that. That's what we're trying to get but... This Word, who's the only God in the bosom of the Father who is God, the text says, He has made Him known. This one in the bosom of the Father comes here to make the Father known to us because He's the only one qualified to fully and more more fully reveal Him to us. Very quickly, I'm going to fly through some quick facts from this text. Number one, in verses 1 through 3, we learn the following. The Word is distinct. The Word is distinct from the Father. The Word is is god the word is the creator and he existed long listen he existed a long time before creation and certainly a long time before christmas so the word did not come into being in verse 14 at christmas next thought keep moving i said verse 4 and 5 are a little hard for me to grasp always so i have to really slow down to get the simplicity in him was life in him was life And the life, so I'm going to say his life was the light. Everybody catch what I'm saying. Christ's life is a special light. That's the message. This is the message. Verse 4 is saying this. It says other things, but it's saying this. This life that's in this word, his life is light. You want light? Look at the life of the word when he's made flesh. His life is is light to mankind, third thought. Well, wait, Jeff, what about verse nine? It says the true true light, which gives light to everyone. So everyone is gonna go to heaven. Everyone's gonna know about Jesus. No, everyone does not know about Jesus. Everyone surely does not go to heaven. So what does this mean, which gives light to everyone was coming into the world? Y'all know this, help me. I'll actually have you participate. God has revealed himself to everyone In two ways. Through, what's one of the ways? Creation. Nature. Everybody can look and see. There is a God. He must be eternal. He's really powerful. He's really smart. He's organized. And he's really creative. What's the other way God has revealed himself to everyone? Through our conscience. So if you'll write that down. This light to everyone means God's already revealed himself to all people in nature and in conscience. Your conscience is that thing that God has given you. Catch what I'm saying. Here's what your conscience says. Hey, do the right thing. Do the right thing. Don't do the wrong thing. Yeah, you're right, they'll find out. No, no, whether they ever find out or not, don't do the wrong thing and do the right thing because there's someone, I can sense it, someone out there is taking account of what I'm doing. I'm gonna give an answer I need to do. Now, the problem with conscience is this. We don't always know what the right thing is. Conscience just says, do the right thing. Problem is, sometimes we think the right thing and it's actually the wrong thing because our conscience is not Bible educated. Next thought comes out of verse 10 god all along was in the world invisibly he's all along been there invisibly before christmas but yet when he comes visibly in the flesh he's not recognized literally the word made flesh is walking around people bumping into people talking to people and people don't recognize who that is that's god the word the eternal the creator the pre-existent one They don't recognize him. But what's worse than not being recognized is verse 11. He came to his own and his own people did not. They don't receive him. He's literally worse than unrecognized is he's rejected when he actually does things that clearly identify him as God. The word made flesh. So he lives and does the miraculous. Tells people he's one with the father. Not only do they not recognize him but people reject him. No we don't want you. And then of course verse 14. The word became flesh that's christmas that's christmas this is how john words christmas luke and she gave birth to a firstborn son other places say it differently john's way of saying christmas where the word the eternal word became flesh now guys here's the thing fully god fully god fully man i can't explain that union Here's all we have to do. We have to accept what the Bible says. Please don't make an error here. Some people cheat and they go too far. Yes, he's God, but not really fully man. Oh, no, don't, don't, don't make that error. And then others go, no, he's a man, he's not fully God, or he's not God at all. No, you can't go either direction. He is fully man, the only thing, he doesn't have our sin nature, and he's fully God at the same time. The text doesn't say he ceased being the word, the eternal God. He stayed that and became something. Something happened 2,000 years ago that had not happened before. It was a brand new state of being, and it was light, light. Three reasons that's important because the word darkness is applied to you and I in three ways. Write these down. Three ways the word darkness is applied to us. We have dark hearts. Dark hearts. What does that mean? That means our heart, our core being is corrupt and we like sin. We are attracted to sin. We're born moving towards sin we're born with a sin nature we like sin god does not like sin god is not attracted to sin but we are second idea the bible uses this idea of darkness with us is our lives are dark not just our attitude and and our affections of our heart literally our very lives are sinful our lives are wicked we're dark we have dark sinful lives very dark hearts And then the kicker is our mind. Our spirit is darkened. What does that mean? We're spiritually ignorant. Guys, we're born in this world with no trustworthy, reliable knowledge of God. We don't know about God. We are ignorant of God. We're blind to God's truth. And worse than that, not not worse, but in addition to that, we go through life inventing and developing our own ideas about spiritual things And they're almost always wrong, almost always wrong. So we make our own wrong idea. We have no perception of God because our spirit is dead. Christmas was the dawn of new light. That's a theme all through Scripture. And why is that important? Number two, quickly. So here's why that matters. Christmas means God can be known. Christmas means God can be known. We can know God. Focus with me if you would. Look at verse 17, 18. I can't say which verse is key verse in this text. They're all key. 17 and 18 are not at the end of the line, definitely. They're very important. Watch what it says. Kind of let your eyes look on it. Act like you've never read this before. For the law was given through Moses. That's a good thing. Grace and truth. Came through Jesus Christ. No one's ever seen God. The only God who is at the Father's side, He has made Him known. So here's what we've noticed God has revealed Himself through nature, through our conscience. In this text, though, these verses mention two other lights. So nature gives us some light, conscience gives us some light. He's a moral being. But then here the text brings out two other lights, ways to learn about God, and these are much more special. You can, learn, you can learn about God out on the lake on Sunday morning, but I'll tell you right now, you'll learn a lot more about God by reading the Bible than you will out on the lake or out on the hunting trip or road trip or whatever it may be. Well, I, can, I can learn about God. True, this is a more special revelation. We're talking about the law, by the way. I've been guilty of thinking this way before. Moses, bad cop. Bad cop. God's mean and he's angry, (laughs) okay? That's how some people look at the law. God's really, really strict and he's really, really angry and then here comes Jesus. Good news, guys, I'm really not that angry. Everybody come on into heaven. Good cop, right? The law, Moses, you're a bad cop. Jesus gets to be the good cop. No, no, no. When you read the law, there is grace in the law. And there's truth in the law but in comparison when you bring in christ he is fuller truth fuller grace the law was gracious if you're writing things down the law is gracious to do three things for us it shows us that god is holy It shows us that he hates sin. It actually defines sin for us. The law is gracious in that it shows us we have offended God. You're like, how's that good? We need to know that we've offended God. We have a problem. All of us have sinned. God is jealous for his glory, but we love other things. We've sinned and we've offended God. We take God's name in vain. We've sinned and offended God. We don't rest like God calls us to rest. We disobey our parents and dishonor our parents. We kill if not literally we kill with our hatred in our heart we commit adultery if not literally we lust in our heart we lie we we covet we want things that God has chosen not to give us all the time we are breaking God's laws and we have offended his holiness and that means we are condemned to judgment and this is what the law tells us we're condemned to judgment that is grace to let us know we're condemned to judgment in fact I'll go one further that's not in your note it's this thought the law is gracious. You say, Jeff, what do you mean the law? Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, the books of Moses. They tell us that, that because of our sin, the law is gracious enough to offer sacrifices, animal sacrifices, to help with sin. That's grace. So the law has some grace. Watch, along comes Christ. Christ shows us that God is holy. Shows us what sin is, that we have offended God with our sin. We've offended his holiness. Christ says that we stand in need of judgment. And Christ offers sacrifice for sin. You say, so it's the same thing. Here's where the difference stops. The law's sacrifice for sin is very burdensome. And it has to be repeated over and over. It doesn't actually remove sin. It just kind of covers sin. Christ comes along in fuller truth and fuller grace, offers himself, not animal sacrifices to cover, offers himself one time to do away with sin. And we can live with a complete assurance and a clean conscience because of Christ. So if you're writing down, we have creation, we have conscience, we have the law, and they're all lights of truth, and they tell the truth about God, but they're lesser lights than Christ, lesser than Christ. If, if I can get this thought, what does Christmas mean? It means we can know God Because Christ is the greatest light. Hebrews 1 says God gave his message through the prophets. But now in these last times, God has spoken himself through his own son. No longer mediated God to the prophets to us. It's literally God becoming flesh directly to us so that we can know him. This is the message of Christmas. God can be known. You can know God. I can know God. By the way, I do know God. I know God because of Christmas. I thought this week, Jeff, what if Christ had not come, this light? We would have no New Testament. Think about that. What would we not know about God if we have no New Testament? There would be no Savior. There would be no hope. What would happen? We would live our lives of sin, and we would die. I promise you this is what would happen. We would wake up in hell and probably not know fully why this is going on. But God sent Christ because he needed to meet two great needs. Mankind cannot know God. You said, Jeff, your second point says we can know God. Two obstacles keep us from knowing God. Number one is our dead spirit, our mind. I'm not talking about our brain. I'm talking about that part of our mind that is our spirit that is dead. I mean, it's just lifeless. We, we are not perceptive about God. We just don't pick up things. Truth can be all around us, but we're in like this dark room. We don't perceive the truth. Christ came to address that need. So our dead spirit is a problem keeping us from knowing God. The second thing, even greater than that, you say, well, what if we could know things about God? You still can't have a relationship with God because sin has separated us from our God. So we're separate from God. Two great obstacles. Sin is a barrier between us and God. Here's Christmas. Here's the good news. Everybody with me? Christmas addresses both needs. Because when Christ came to the earth, the eternal word, the eternal Son of God become flesh. All of a sudden now when we look at him living life, we're seeing God live life. When we're listening to his words, we're hearing the very words of God. That is one of the reasons of Christmas. I'm about to tell you, this is not my main thought this week, but I have to put it in. The main reason of Christmas, the main thing that it made made possible was that God became flesh because God can't die, but flesh can die. And so God became a man so that Jesus Christ could die on a cross, taking all the sin that was never his on himself and paying the penalty for our sin. That's how Christmas meets the need of mankind. We don't know anything about God. Christ comes as a light to tell us about the Father. What about the sin problem? Christ comes to remove the sin problem, and he died on the cross to do it. And so we may conclude, so then, preacher, let me get this straight. Because Christ died on the cross, everyone's going to heaven. He paid for all the sins, right? So everybody's going to heaven. No. No. The vast majority of Americans are not on their way to heaven. Unfortunately, I'm afraid the vast majority of, heaven, of, of Americans will not go to heaven. You say, then how do you go to heaven? Go back, look at verse 12. Look at verse 12 one more time. You want to see this. And then we'll move to our last point today. But look at verse 12. So he comes to his own. His own people did not receive him. They reject. But this is so important. Somebody today that's here listening right now needs to hear this. I mean, you're like eternity is in the balance. You need, and and the only way you're going to get it is if God gives you the light. So I can't explain it perfectly so that you will get it. But I'm going to try. I'm going to try to literally be a little bit like John the Baptist and try to point your attention towards some truth and hope that you'll see it, and God will take that and give you faith in it. So, So how do we get saved? Verse 12 tells us. So most reject... But to all who did receive, that's a key word, receive him. What does that mean? Who believed in his name. He gave the right to become children of God. Everybody with me? Check your heart. How do you get saved? Let me tell you how you do not get saved. You don't get saved by believing Jesus is God. And he died on a cross to save the world and pay for the world's sin. In fact, you don't get saved by believing. I mean, I really believe Jesus is God and died on the cross to pay for my sins. Wonderful. You have to do that to be saved. But if that's all you do, you are not saved. You say, sure you're saved. Anyone who knows that Jesus is God, they know his identity, they know what he's done, they know the significance of what what he's done, then that person is saved, Jeff. No, they're not. This is where so many Americans are going to miss heaven because they stop right there. They're well-informed. You say, then what is left? You have to receive him. You have to believe in his name. Here it comes. The saved person who gets salvation, who becomes an adopted child of God by right, by authority, is this person. They believe on his name. To believe his name means you believe him. You believe him. These are his words. You believe him so much so that when you believe he is God, you're convinced he is God. You're convinced he really died on a cross. You're convinced that it was for you and it was enough to pay for your sins. You're convinced, here it comes, that he is offering salvation for free. Literally, this is his word. He's offering salvation for free, and the saved person says says, I'm convinced he's trustworthy. His death was for me. It was enough. He is God. He's offering salvation. Here's the safe person. I will take it. They receive. They, I, I like these three words, they trust. They rely on. They receive because they don't just believe in some facts about him, they believe and trust in him. They receive. Him because they rest in Him. They rely on Him. They depend on Him. They trust Him. I did that when I was nine. When did you do that? When did you do that? God can be known. That's what Christmas means. Christ is like a delight. God can be known is the message of Christmas. And then this thought hit me this week. It had never hit me this way. Third thought and last one. Christmas means that God wants to be known. This was new for me. You say, Jeff, this is the second point. We just wrote it a while ago. No, no, no. Pay close attention. Keep your pen moving. Write this down. Christmas means not only that God can be known. There's good news. Guys, good news. We've sinned, but we can know God. We can know him forever in heaven. Good news. Christmas does not only mean that God can be known. Christmas, it's like like God says this week, hey, Jeff, wake up. Tell the people to wake up. The evidence is right in front of them. Not only can God be known, God wants to be known. That's why Christmas happened. Y'all know what Christmas happened, right? God's saying, I want to be known. I can be known. I want to be known. I want to be known. Grace, if you listen, God wants to be known, He wants to be known. He did all this. I want to be known. It's a Tuesday morning. I was beginning my prayer time. And in my prayer time, you're going to say, come on. Just telling you. It was as though God prefaced our time together by asking me. Like, I'm praying. I'm aware of God's presence. I'm coming in through Christ's name. Very much toward the beginning, it's as though God said the following. I I quickly typed this out later. And I don't think I missed the order. It was as though God was asking me at the beginning of prayer time and said, All right, Jeff, as you approach me, what do you see? What do you see? What am I like to you? What do you know of me? What, do you, what are you getting? So I typed my answers a few minutes after we worked through it. My answers were these You're real. You're near. You're near. You're you're imminent. I think this is the order to actually happen. But but, but you're near and imminent, but I want to be careful. You're you're high. You are high. You're you're superior. I don't know why this one popped in. You were like, you're just so stable. I'm not. You are so stable. You're like never threatened. You're holy. You're separate from sin, but there, there's just no one like you. You're asking me what you're like? I'm saying you're holy. There's no one like you. You, you're merciful. You're like really merciful. You're a giver. You, you're good. You're a good, you're a good person. You're very comforting. Things get crazy. If I can ever get to this you're so comforting and unchanging. You're just unchanging. That was Tuesday. That was Tuesday. That was 13 things Tuesday. What am I like to you? You're real, near, imminent, high, superior, stable, never threatened, holy, merciful, a giver, good, comforting, unchanging. Where did that come from? Where do those perceptions come from? I'll propose they come from two things. Because I was there. Some of you are like, "That guy's a little wacko." Others of you are like, "Yep." Where did that list come from? Because any other day will not be that list again. Two areas. It came from what I was experiencing and sensing in the moment. What are you getting right now? Uh, you, you're that, and that, and that, and that. These thirteen things. Did you catch what I said? God is a real person. I'm a real person, by the way. I'm here. There's God. I'm sensing things. But there was a second thing that was feeding this list. So what is it? years and years of reading the Bible and studying the Bible and hearing good Bible teaching and preaching. I've heard a lot of good Bible teaching, a lot of good Bible preaching, and I've read this, and I've even studied portions of this, and so I know that was feeding my answers, but I'm going to tell you guys, listen, in that moment, that was actually secondary. I wasn't, when God, I perceived, was asking me, come on, what am I like to you? I wasn't like, well, let me think what all the Bible says. Let me take a moment and get my paper out and flip through. No, it was just there in the moment. Now, here's where you have to be careful. God wants to be known. That's the point of Christmas. I want to be known by you. Here's where you got to be careful. If you lean too far, either one of those two things that I just said, or if you exclude either one of those two things, you can get out of balance. Here's what some people do. They don't read the Bible. They don't study the Bible. They don't listen to Bible teaching and preaching. Their whole view of God gets very skewed because they have these experiences And they have these perceptions and they sense things and basically they invent a God and that's what they think God is like. They only do the first thing and they don't do the second thing. And you're like, oh Jeff, this is grace for you. We're a Bible church. We don't do that. That's how heresies are made. And that's how false truths and heretics and false teachings and false religions are born because people who have these perceptions that are without scripture or go against scripture, we don't do that here. Listen, Here's the other thing that can get us out of balance. It's when we read the Bible, study the Bible, hear Bible teaching and preaching, but listen, if that, you can be as accurate as you want to be all day long. I mean accurate, but if that does not result in actual God encounters, it's cold. It's accurate. It's just not impactful. You're well read, well studied. You're just... You don't really, you've got some facts about God, but you don't know God the person. My message this morning is God wants both. I want you to read my word. I want you to study. I want you to listen to Bible teaching and preaching. But at the end of the day, it needs to result in God encounters where you and God get alone and you talk about Him, what you're sensing in the moment. And if you're ever sensing something in the moment and you later find out it went against what the Bible teaches, well, you know you had too much pizza. But it is so validating when you're just firing things off in the moment that you're sensing and later realize that lines up with what you've revealed. Yes! God wants to be known. Do you know him? Do you know him? Who's here this morning by show of hands? You say, I've been saved over 15 years. Hands high. Not ashamed. I've been saved over 15 years. Anybody here 25 years? Keep your hand up. Over 25 years. Anybody here like me saved over 40 years? I was 40 years old in the Lord this year. Look at that. Hey, to you who raised your hand on any of those questions, here's my question. To you, do you know more about God now than you knew December of 2018? Check your heart. You're not done, are you? I've been to say forty years. You're not done, are you? I think I, I think I know everything about God. <laughs> really? Write a book, please. <laughs> do you guys know that this study we're doing on Sunday, this Matthew? Do you know what we're doing? Right now, we're caught up a lot in what Jesus is saying. We're going to look at a lot of what Jesus is going to do. Y'all know that when we see what Jesus says and does, we're looking at what God says and does? I'm not saying Matthew's better than Romans. I'm saying Matthew's not second to Romans. Do you realize we cannot do a greater study than Matthew? Do you know him? When God shows you something, does it make it into your life? How are these revelations? Wednesday night, I told him, are you praying different because we've gone through the Lord's model prayer on prayer recently? Has that affected? Are you like, oh, yeah, I've got information. Give me a test. I'll take it. Does it make it into your experience? God's like, I want to be known. I don't want you to know about. I want you to know me. That's why I did Christmas. Do you know him? Do you hunger to know him? I have dozens, I have like a dozen questions. This is important. Is that a priority with you? Is knowing God a priority with you? You say, oh yes, Jeff, knowing God's a priority. Will it show up in your life tomorrow morning? Will it show up in your life Wednesday, Friday, next Saturday? How do you know you really are hungry for God? How do you know that knowing God is a priority? How does it show up in your life? i want to propose to you, we have to be intentional. Yes, God has to reveal himself, but we have to set aside times. We set aside times. What I'm about to say needs said. I'm glad we have a good-sized crowd here today. And visitors, I'm sorry that you have to hear this, but maybe you need to hear it. I have no one in mind. God wants to be known. That's the point of Christmas. We make honest attempts each week. Sundays, Wednesday. You know what we try to do? Listen, it's imperfectly. It's imperfect in the week. It's imperfect in the delivery. But we make honest attempts to try to make God known here each week. We were here every week last year. Every week. Were you? Were you? is knowing God a priority? If it is, I'll propose that church attendance is a priority to that person. Is church attendance a priority to you? Imperfectly, we're trying and by the way, imperfectly, God is made known at Graceview every week. God is made known at Graceview every week. Are you here? Does it matter to you? God's like, I did Christmas. I want to be known. I want you to know me. Are you there when it's being known? Are you with me during the week privately? Do you get the word out? Do you pray with me privately? Do you gather with my people? God's like, I had this plan, and it's called church, local assemblies, and gatherings. And you get together, and you celebrate the word, and you study the word. Are you getting in on it? Because here's my question. Last three months, the last three months, does your life reflect that church attendance... Is important. Your last note is this one. Knowing God. Is primary. To why you were made. Knowing God is primary to why you were made. Jeff what do you mean? God did not. Hey I don't know who you are. But listen. God did not make you. And save you. For you to live your life over there. Hey, I saved you. You're going to go to heaven. Now you just go live your life over there. Oh, wait, 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 wait. Oh, we got, got some trouble in life. I better fit God in. Or it's a convenient weekend. These are the convenient weekends. I'll fit God in on those weekends. Knowing God is primary. Everything else, and I know I wrote the last, we've given the last note. Will you give me about two minutes? Knowing God is primary. Listen, everything else is secondary. Whoa, 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 Jeff, hang on. Hold on. It's in the Bible. What about my family? And what about my job? Well, I've got to pay the bills, and that's in Scripture. We're supposed to be productive. And, and honest, Jeff, let's just keep it real, man. What about, what about our friends? And what about my hobbies? And I, Here's the thing. What about my interests? They help keep me sane. This is a crazy world. Oh, I know. I'm with you. Well, what about those things? Family and job and friends and hobbies and interests. What about that? Oh, I'll tell you about those. Those are gifts from God to you. But they're secondary. Knowing God's primary, does your life show it? So we're about to approach a new year. We all need to do this. All of us need to do this. But I'm wondering if some in particular you need to do this. Say, what is it? You need to really evaluate how important is God in your life. How important is knowing God in your life. Maybe. You say, Jeff, who are you talking? It may be that there's a Christian, a true Christian, that's here this morning, and all the evidence says in the last 12 months, somehow, some way, God has become less important to you. He is less important. We're all trending, and I don't mean social media. We're all trending, so here's my last thoughts here. If you were to take the last three months and project them as the trend for the next 12 months, takes us to the end of 2020, if we're still here, if you're still here, on the current trend, does it have you, be honest, closer to the Lord, or does it have you, like, further to the, from the Lord, and He is further relegated behind family Job, hobbies, interests. He's put in second place their primary. That's not why God saved you and that's not why God made you. God says Christmas is about I not only can be known, I did it, I want to be known by you. It's about eyes closed. Would you bow your head, close your eyes just for a moment. So like half of this message springboarded from a thought tuesday morning for me and then the lord added the usual christmas thoughts i'm sure we'll look at them next week and it's this god you with me god can be known hear that guys you can know god because of christmas but it goes further than that God can be known because at Christmas, God himself became flesh so that he could die on a cross. Yes, he can make himself known by the life and the words of Jesus, but it required the death of Christ in our place to remove the sin. God has done everything that's needed to make him known, everything. And yet, in our midst this morning, you say, who is it, Jeff? I'm telling you, I don't know who. But I promise you, there is someone here. Hopefully, you know who you are. Heads bowed, eyes closed. I'm going to ask Lord, would you reveal to any person, and maybe they know that Jesus is God and they know he died on a cross, but the fact is they're on their way to hell this morning because you've never taken the step between you and God to like, Lord, I'm not just going to know about this. I'm actually trusting. I'm going to do the next thing. I'm going to believe on I'm going to receive I know, that was John 1, John 3. God so loved the world, he gave his only son, that whoever believes in him will not perish. They will have everlasting life. And so I want to invite you, you, you. If you're here this morning, you're like, I am not 100% settled if I'm going to heaven. Remind me what you said at the end of the second point. How do we, how can we be sure As many as received him who believed on his name, to them he gave the right to become the sons of God. What does it mean? Go with me. Do this right now. If you have any doubt, go with me right now. Bring God into focus. God says if we confess our sins, he's faithful to forgive us. Go ahead and admit it. God, you found me, I am guilty. I'm guilty of sin. I've sinned against you. Listen to me. I'm a voice. I can't save you, but I can tell you what the Bible says. The Bible says, here's a promise. Whoever will call upon the name of the Lord will be saved. Do you believe what I'm about to say? You talk to God. If you can honestly in your heart confess this to God, then you say this. God, I believe Jesus is the Lord. Tell him, God, Jesus is the Lord. Tell him this, Jesus, Jesus, you are my Lord. You are my Lord. I receive you as my Lord today. I am a sinner, but I'm gonna take you up on this. Do this. God says, I offer free salvation. To be saved, you not only have to hear that and know it in your head, you have to do this. Do it now. Talk to God. God, I don't know why you offered it. I am taking it. I am going to depend on Jesus. I am going to, tr- and then do it. Just trust him. Throw your whole soul into him. He can handle it. Give him all your sin. Give him your whole eternity. And then you let go and you don't work. You just rest. God, I'm going to rely. I'm going to rest. I'm going to depend. You do all the work. I'll just take you up and watch you. Pr- if you'll do that, I'll see you in heaven. Just before I pray, Christian. Is there a Christian in the house and God made it clear to you, you are not closer to him, you don't know him better today than you did three months ago, six months ago, a year ago. Your life somehow has found him less important. I want to invite you. If God, not to me, do you know him? Like, yeah, I know him. I'm saved. Then talk to him. Confess. God, I never saw it this way. Jeff never saw it this way. The point of Christmas is not just that you can be known. You want to be known and I've not been knowing you. I've been all into my stuff. God, I'm sorry. Tell him, God, by your grace, I want to, I want to pursue you. Will you draw me? And I'm going to respond. I want to be found faithful. Talk to him. Don't, don't lie. Don't lie. Don't say because I'm asking you. But if God has pricked your heart and convicted you and you're like, I am, have relegated God behind my things, then just tell him, God, by your grace, I'm going to spend time with you in prayer. And I want to, to listen to you. I want to know you and your word. God, it's done every week here at View. I'm going to be more faithful than I've been. So, Father, as we leave, God, I thank you for Christmas. (laughs) Lord, I praise you for Christmas. I praise you for the incarnation of the Word made flesh. God, I thank you. And Lord, I'm being joined right now by brothers and sisters in Christ. God, thank you. I'll never taste hell because Christ took my hell on the cross, became a, a man. So he could feel your wrath against my sin. Thank you, God, that you had the plan, and he was willing to carry it out. You love us that much. Lord, I'm going to ask you, don't let anybody here today leave not knowing that they are trusting Christ. Please, God, we get that so tangled, and in our deadness, Lord, we cannot make sense of it. As simple as I try to make it, Lord, you're going to have to do it. You have to make these promises powerful, life-giving. Lord, if anybody could receive life by talking with me after, God, don't let them leave. Let us make time. Lord, I close my prayer, and I close our service with this. Father, anyone who did that, Lord, would you let them share that with someone before they leave? Hey, I settled my salvation today. And God... As we leave, any Christians who've been struggling with pursuing you, Lord, may we have conversations where we flesh that out and edify one another. Beginning even on the ride home. For Jesus' sake and in his name.